Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Oh, you knew damn well I wouldn't tell. The Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 105, Gunner, is sponsored by Starkist Tuna Creations. What the heck was Frank Castle thinking? Pete, we continue to race through this excellently constructed season of Punisher. To think next time we uh, we, we podcast Punisher will be at roughly the one-half mark. Of course, the adventure continues on our Runaways podcast where we are making our way through that season. We have three episodes up. Another episode will be recorded tomorrow when that, uh, when that new episode hits Hulu. And then, of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this Friday. It is a great time to be in the MCU. Lots going on, but let's talk about this episode of The Punisher. Indeed, this episode entitled Gunner. Let's start with Micro fretting about Frank Castle having left Madani alive in a scene that shows brotherly rapport and frayed nerves between the two. Frank ends the conversation by saying he's going to see Micro's wife, and after the title card, he does. He seems to connect with Sarah's daughter, Leo, while fixing the van's headlight and seems reluctant when asked in the kitchen to stay for dinner. Later on, Micro is re-watching the footage of Ahmed Zubir being tortured, and Frank returns to identify Gunnar Henderson as the man who recorded it. They are able to track Gunnar down, though in a moment of rare hilarity, Micro doesn't make Frank a submarine sandwich. Elsewhere, Agent Orange is giving a stirring speech as to the duty of CIA officers. He'd know because he is one and welcomes the presumed new recruits to the CIA. He introduces himself as William Rawlins, but he'll always be Agent Orange slash Father Phil to me. Later on in the episode, he is shown to have the highest esteem of his co-workers and is offered a place as Deputy Director of the CIA, assuming his boss becomes Director. Elsewhere, in her apartment, Madani awakens, not stopped by her injury, chewing some of those pain pills. She goes to work, and sees that Rafi is in charge. She quips that she's there for vengeance for her broken car, and gets reminded to toe the line and play the role of good agent. She also doesn't tell anyone that Frank Castle is alive, anyone except for Sam Stein. Heck, Pete, she doesn't even take a call from Billy Russo, who'd like to get a drink with her. Madani does have time to call Karen Page in for questioning, and in an electric scene of two powerful, unintimidated women, Neither will back down. Karen later reaches out to Frank, who meets her and ultimately surmises that his existence is toxic and she should move on from her crusade to help him. But back to Madani, she talks with Stein about finding out about the men connected with the death of Abed Zubir. And it turns out Agent Orange has been listening the whole time. Madani and Stein are questioned by the Inspector General's office about the failed gun operation from the last episode, both give solid answers, though Stein seems to waver on whether there are suspects. In private, he gives Madani one week to settle her investigations before he flips. At Gunnar Henderson's cabin, Frank approaches slowly, and a fight ensues between the two before Gunnar recognizes Frank. Their conversation is interrupted by Agent Orange having sent soldiers after the pair. In a lean, bloody, extended action scene, the two take out all the soldiers, though both are wounded. Frank limps away from a presumably dying gunner. Frank is found by Micro and patched up, 
able to fight another day. The episode ends with Madani returning Russo's call. They go out for a drink, then stop in a hotel room. In pain as she is from the accident, she nonetheless takes what she wants, finding pleasure enough to melt my TV and end the episode. And we thought we had seen everything from Marvel TV, Matt. This episode with its extended action sequence there, complete with the body cameras, which was a really nice touch to allow Rollins to participate in the scene, but at the same time remain an observer. And what can you say about, you know, Madani and and Russo on the hookup there? I mean, that is definitely sensational on a level we've not seen in nearly 200 episodes of of marvel tv that we've podcast yes they're up to 203 total uh with everything that's been released at this point but yeah tv melting indeed well pete there were some naughty bits i might have covered my eyes with uh, in that last scene there but i will highlight again if there's one thing beyond the salacious you can take away from that scene it's that she has a want she is in control of the situation. She takes what she wants. She figures out a way to make it happen. And uh, if nothing else, that is, that's a lady in charge of her own situation, Pete. Like all good writing, though, if the thing that you're writing about is the thing that you're writing about, you're in deep trouble. And while this is a sexual act between two consenting adults, albeit one injured and, and Russo even tries to back out honorably based on that clearly madani is filling some kind of void emotionally um through the the gratification here that she has in the wake of the experience she's had uh afghanistan back here with the punisher both possibly well in a minute we're going to talk about villains no no joke, no wink here. This scene left me uh, feeling uh, rather heroic about both Madani and Russo. He in his restraint, as you mentioned, and her in her... I mean, might there be an emotional aspect? Sure, absolutely. But it's, it's, it's two people kind of... Um, two people on the right side of consent. Two people making, making choices that they're happy to make. And uh, so many times we see a bedroom scene played for, um, well, frankly, played for with a woman not in charge, either because it's salacious or because we're on the edge of issues of consent or things like that. And here it's just a straight up, boom, they both want it. She's she's fighting through her pain to get some pleasure. And uh, right. it's I all good. Tr- trying to make the pain go away, just find another place there, the endorphins, what have you. In her injury, we've already seen her, you know, cranking pills back, um, albeit with a prescription. But uh, I'm not sure the doctor would have ordered this, Matt, or, well, or advised it. Pete, I think this is some alternative medicine. We can we can agree with that. Ah, let's it's holistic. Talk. I see. <laughs> um, let's just, Pete. Let's just hope that it was all done safely. Let's talk about Agent Orange, uh, William Rollins, who is uh, decidedly unsafe in this episode. 
I guess let's let, let's start backwards and work from there. We see him carry out what may be an illegal military action on U.S. soil, although you could probably explain it away with he alerted the state police that there's a man making bombs or something like that, enough to kind of make it legal. But this is also a guy who presumably earlier in the day, certainly earlier in the episode, has received uh, from the CIA the Distinguished Service Medal. Uh, you can't actually keep it, and there is no record, but that's life in the CIA. Pete, this is a guy who is esteemed at the highest heights and we know is is rotten to the core. Boy, is Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio going to be upset when this fouls up her confirmation hearing or whatever is going to take place. But uh, do you have any skeletons uh, yeah, a few. And, uh, now there's a body count wherever that was, uh, though it was filmed in either, you know, not far away from, uh, New York or New Jersey, uh, that they did those scenes. But yeah, uh, from his introduction there, speaking to the CIA recruits where we get the, the turnaround, uh, albeit slowly, and the reveal that not only is it scarred around the eye with the makeup, that the eye itself, that he's wearing a, a lens there to make it appear blind and doesn't cover it up with an eye patch or anything like that, um, to viewing this covert operation, clearly not safe enough to communicate to those soldiers like, all right, head here and do this and, and watch your six and all that, you know, it's, it's, it's masterminding, but not operational in the way that Schoonover was hands-on and, and overseeing things from a tactical standpoint. And yeah, the guy is just dirty and it's going to be delicious to watch Frank finally deal with someone at, at the highest level if there's no reveal somebody's even higher than he is i hope mary elizabeth master antonio's hands are clean especially after she touched that uh alien at the bottom of the ocean <laughs> well when it comes to how they present rollins as they present agent orange less is more here i was convinced when there was the uh when he received his injury that you know, the dive ball was gone and there was going to be some great, you know, whatever. Here, the notion that they've taken the actor, given him a foggy contact lens and put on a fairly minimal uh, latex prosthetic. And I don't know anything about prosthetic makeup. My bet would be if Mr. Spock's ears took 45 minutes or 25 minutes, something like that, back in the 60s, this is probably a case of, you know, quick run a run a razor just to make sure there's no uh, errant hair where the where the application is going put some spirit gum on there stick it on his face use some makeup to blend it in my bet would be he's in and out of that makeup chair in a half hour tops and that includes just the normal face makeup you would wear that's to be able to look this guy in his foggy eye in his bad eye that's much more effective than wearing an eye patch like nick fury or kind of that implied cool that comes with uh comes with an eye patch He's much more menacing as the guy who obviously knows the price of of uh, representing his country in, in the Secret Service. Yeah, it certainly comes across in the, in the visual storytelling department how we make him appear. Um, I would argue that the character 
you know, is, is kind of generic without any kind of affectation here, barring, of course, the uh, dialogue and, and how you're going to make him act. But yeah, to give him this appearance after he's tangled with Frank and to have him on the other end orchestrating these moves to to wipe out Gunner here to attempt to wipe out Frank and to clear this off his ledger as his boss is going to go for the top job in the CIA. He's going to be the number two. The blowback is going to be glorious. Well, you mentioned Frank. Any any villainous points for him? Here he leaves Sarah and the kids uh, disappointed when he doesn't show up for dinner. Here he, in a really passionate scene, here he tells Karen that he is this toxic force that she should abandon. She who has been defined by taking up the cause of others and amplifying that. And I don't mean that to dismiss her character at all, but that's kind of, that's what she does is to facilitate people and to, to be, she's the guidance system for other people's missiles, if you will. Um, And Pete, anytime you make Karen page cry, that just, that just hurts me to the core. So any villain points for Frank? No, I can't give him any. I mean, he's done bad things, but he's done these bad things in, in service of a greater good. Um, the stuff in Afghanistan, the stuff here, you know, these are dirty, dangerous people that he's taken care of. I mean, could there be a point where we will look at him if there's some bad intel or whatever it is and, and you sense a rift forming between him and Lieberman despite the way the episode ends with the two of them? you know, with, with Lieberman saving him and, and driving him away. Um, I, I didn't know how much I could trust that because Lieberman is clearly jealous of his ability, Frank's ability to be with, uh, Lieberman's family. Well, not quite villainous discussion here, but the, the layering between Frank and, and Micro, I think is absolutely wonderful. And to have that sense of the old married couple, no pun intended, but the old married couple in the beginning that then has this extra zing to it, uh, to then return to their partnership. And then that, that scene where Frank is going to enjoy his really pedestrian MRE, his meal ready to eat for those that don't know the military lingo. Now you have the sit rep on that. Uh, and then Frank, uh, pardon me, the micro just chowing down on this, this luscious sub sandwich that he's made. Oh, all the not a hoagie, the, not, not a, a hoagie, hero, not a grinder a submarine sandwich. Um, I mean, it's an outright funny moment. I laughed out loud. And I yeah. think that that's not just, Ooh, I was entertained this notion that, in an episode that features as its cornerstone an action set piece, which is not fun. At no time is it fun because these soldiers chasing our heroes are just following orders. And again, it's whether grueling. it's I mean, it when the one guy catches the the booby trap to his uh, femoral there, you, you feel for these soldiers following orders i mean is it going to help to perhaps have some shading that the the unit itself was dirty so we don't feel dirty but this is this is frank protecting himself from you know that bigger badder more nefarious force 
uh, and a, a, a war buddy and a, a war hero to boot. Um, but yeah, it really would be nice to get some, some negative morality towards that group. Cause I feel kind of bad for them. There was at least one woman in that unit too. You know, I, I had noticed that and I, I credit the production as, yeah, for, you know, for reminding us <laughs> there are, that's there real, are man, that's soldiers. realistic. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the, the, the drone stuff overhead was good. Um, I would argue it was a little much with, you know, the, the shots later on where they're, uh, he and, uh, Gunner are, are really struggling and it, it was really kind of slow, but it built up that, that tension. I think that they were going for, um, it was slow, but it, it was with a series of long takes. Like they're going to make yeah. you watch what these guys are going through. This isn't going to be some cool editing job or like right. uh, grunt groan. It's the life is flowing out of these two guys and you, you're, you're going to sit there and watch it. Yeah, it was you, – you fell for him. You you felt for what they went through. Here, Gunner's story is incredibly, you know, loaded with with sympathy. I mean the guy watched them pack – who would have thought, Matt, that they were packing corpses full of heroin to to bring back to the states, obviously taken out of the bodies before they were interred over here, but – just that as an idea, let alone if it's actually taken place, if this is based on the, the whispering of, you know, some of the stuff coming out of, you know, those those two wars we fought in Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, obviously more based in Afghanistan in terms of the poppy production. But, yeah, just really, really loaded with uh, – with pathos for, for him. And, you know, did he make it? I'm pretty sure we can say he didn't. I feel bad that Frank at least closes this episode without the opportunity to bury him. Who knows what happens going forward? You know, once he's, he's dealt with agent orange and, uh, you know, um, CIA director, uh, master Antonio promotes him to, you know, special punisher to do secret projects and, and not kill bad guys, uh, of his own free will. Maybe, you know, we get that scene where Gunner's name goes on a wall or something. Who knows? I'm reminded of a, of a Magnum PI episode, which features flashbacks to their time in Vietnam. And, uh, on I don't Magnum PI, huh? On Mag- well, yeah, they're, they're 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 Vietnam vets in Magnum PI, um, because I think it started eighty one, maybe seventy nine, somewhere in there. But anyhow, it ends with that they all they all, or, or at least um, TC the uh, the uh, helicopter pilot and Magnum um, served, and it ends with them both through the course of conversation, um, they've had to reflect on their time in Vietnam. And Magnum says, uh, do you ever think back to over there or words that effect? And then it cuts to this montage of the awful things they both have been through. And TC says, nope, not really. Of course they both just have, and they're both hiding the pain. I would right. have liked a moment like that to end this episode. Frank awakening. Hey, there might be spook for you. There might be hope for you yet. Spook. If there was just something like, give me, give me two more lines. Micro says, 
uh, what about the other guy? And if it, was, if it was just this pause where Frank goes from the smile of hope to the smile fades and he says, well, he died on the battlefield like he always wanted to. Well, we know that's not true. We know he wanted to be buried or something like that. We were we were two lines away from something really fantastic. I know you were really up on the last episode and it was good, but I found this one more compelling. Um, the the can, can we get a Madani Karen Page show already? I mean, those two actresses, Amber Rose Riva and uh, Deborah Ann Wall, in that scene, that is as good as any scene of two women interacting in the entirety of Marvel TV to this point. And maybe anything as good as Marvel has ever done with two women on the screen, film included. What was amazing about the construction of that scene is that it starts out with Madani clearly, you know, she's made her weight as the dialogue quickly makes us no, so there's this power play, but Karen's up on the power play. Yeah. So how much of a power play is it if you see she it? Counter then, punches, man. And it's back and forth. And even when Madani physically closes the space and she's she's standing while Karen is sitting, even then Karen, I, I like that Karen doesn't get rolled over by this person who, let's face it, kind of in the way of the world, has more power than we, Karen Page, yeah. at the sixth place newspaper. But then Karen immediately, boom, you want this on the record? Click, click all right, Madani's going to play ball. How about let's talk off the record? Pen goes away. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And you don't need a Claymore mine or a booby trap or, or a car chase or any of that to be as electric as some of those things we've seen in this season. It makes me wonder, Matt, in light of what takes place at the end of the episode, and again, that's a consensual situation with Russo, but is Madani coming i mean clearly she's she's embraced some darkness it is she going dark well it's a great question and this of course is a show about ultimately you know what is it that happens to someone who gets pushed too far uh though frank castle prior to the death of his family had been trained in the ways of war and the ways of killing um and now we've added this layer of his uh, his uh, you know special special forces training. Um, at the end of the day, there's there's plenty of soldiers. I don't mean to demean the battlefield experience, but there's plenty of soldiers with a shall we say a normal experience, say without combat, who don't become the Punisher. And why is that? It's because he's been pushed to the extra, to these extraordinary uh, corners of the mind. So sh could she be on that track too? That we're, you know we're clearly not going to do away with the Punisher at the end. Um, do we have somebody else who's out there taking the Punisher mantle? That that certainly could be fun in its own uh, in its own exciting way. The Punish Her. Ooh, Lady Punisher. I know is a I think is a character. I mean, look that up. But maybe that's where we're headed. The soft reboot of Lady Punisher. I mean, listen, anything's possible. I think of anything in this episode, her actions you know the the battlefield stuff or the the stuff in the woods made to reflect the battlefield aside shock us the most um it's not that rollins is dirty and manipulating things behind the scenes as he's apparently ascending it's not that frank is a loyal uh brother as a soldier 
and there to, you know, get answers and also do right by Gunner. It's that Madani is, you know, going above and beyond to stretch herself. You know, this, this has to be against medical advice. This has to be, um, something. And she's, she's told by, um, Hernandez there, you know, you should be home recuperating and, and she's pushing it too far. And, and when you push it, the sacrifices that you might make and how they impact you, I I think it says a lot about who you are and who you become. Well, Lynn Michaels, AKA, uh, lady Punisher, uh, AKA a female version of the Punisher is out there. So I, I guess we'll, we'll keep an eye on that for, for future reference. Pete, as we talk some more ponderings and theories here, let's, let's get you officially on the record. Is Gunnar Henderson dead or not? I think we're, we're left with the very strong likelihood that, he's died there in that forest. You you just hope that if there's not something direct in the story that could allow Frank to deal with it, that at some point it'll be followed up. You know, there, there is a body count in that forest that when it's discovered and it's just a matter of time, how does that get used? Is this, you know, um, Serviceman uh, goes over the edge, takes out a, uh, a, uh, a a group of elite soldiers. I mean, why were they there? It almost begs more questions than it answers. Um, so, yeah, how they how they choose to do it. Maybe, you know, oh, we planted some stuff and here's his manifesto and we tried to take him and he wouldn't come peacefully. Oh, yeah. And we're still looking for an accomplice. What kind of blowback do you think Agent Orange gets? How how deep was this uh, was this operation, and how quickly does it get back to him? Not for nothing, knowing knowing literally nothing about the rest of the season, you know it's going to come back to him. You know there must be yes. an Agent Orange and Punisher showdown, probably in episode uh, one eleven, or pardon me, one twelve or one thirteen. But how quickly does this failed operation with ten dead soldiers? How quickly does that get back to him? Well, listen, look at the, look at it as a line item. Okay. Look at beyond the death toll, Matt, which is substantial. Okay. Look at the amount of ammo. Look at the tech that was employed for this. Uh, there is no doubt a data stream that puts that onto his laptop. This has bad news written all over it. And I just wish we could go to Maid Marion and tell her right now that the Sheriff of Nottingham is her number two. Pete, in this episode, we see uh, the, the, what had been this growing connection, we'll say friendship, between Sarah Lieberman and Frank Castle. Uh, we see that kind of frozen out by some of the, uh, some of the particulars of the, of the episode, particularly his not showing up to dinner did micro have a hand in this? You have to wonder from a story writer's room perspective, how much of the need to go away and take care of this mission was designed to make Frank miss that meal. Um, we see the shots as, as micro is, is hearing about it. Um, 
I mean, the only thing that that took your mind away from that is the continued pugnacious behavior of uh, his son, who now apparently has either stolen some kid's skateboard or, uh, you know, uh, just stolen one. (laughs) I mean, the kid is bad news. That continues to be a storyline they revisit with his anger and you know, the mom's inability to crack down at him as a parent of the opposite gender uh, when he lost his dad at a tender age. So I think, yeah, it's it's meant to make him miss that, whether it was intentional from micro being like, all right, we're going to go. I'm going to go with you on this mission and make sure you do it. I mean, he could have let him die in the woods and then would have solved the issue of jealousy that uh he has against frank as a surrogate father and and maybe even partner to uh to his wife but uh yeah i i think there's a lot of intent there pete let's move to some feedback that we are getting from loyal listeners here had a tweet from uh, mary kirk that's at geek kirk who uh did us the honor by saying spent the day listening to fantastic geek podcasts oh. that's plural pete helps the work go by so glad to be in people's ears in people's cars with them during the work day uh to uh help make our our little ponderings uh to put a smile on people's faces pete what do you have from facebook on Facebook there, the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Robert T. Frost left the message, The Punisher. Let me preface with I've only been able to watch the first two episodes due to work slash holiday commitments. I'm not so sure that we'll see the mob as future baddies. I think they were in the episode as an indication of where, Frank, this was for episode 102, This comment was left just for context. Um, I think uh, they were in the episode as an indication of where Frank is willing to go. If we use the analogy of white is good and black is bad, then we know that Frank dwells in the gray. I think that taking out the mob card players is a visual gauge of just how far into the gray toward the darkness Frank has slid or is willing to go. He saves Donnie from the evil work crew. Did the mob do anything against Frank? No. But just knowing that the mob, by common knowledge, is bad and will seek revenge on Donnie and his grandmother is enough for Frank to eliminate them. It's a window into his psyche and the darkness that dwells there and the judgments he makes. I would also love to have that mobster's eyesight to be able to read a driver's license that's laying on the ground while standing a few feet away. Wow. (laughs) My reading glasses are no lie. In episode 102, I found it extremely curious that Agent Madani, the newest agent assigned to the New York office, is now our lead agent. While she may have seniority over other agents in New York, I find it highly unlikely that she would now be the one in charge after Carson Wolf is killed. Where is the deputy director? If indeed there is one, as we are not given Wolf's title other than to know that he, quote, attained rank, unquote. On the other hand, if Madani isn't 
thrust forward. We don't have a story. Till next time, your friend, Bob. Great point there about the lack of a deputy director. I think it's fair. I think also Bob is fairly kind of bending things a bit to say, well, it's because of show, because story. Um, all I will add, not to disagree with Bob, but just in, in, in concert with it, is she did say that she would be there uh, temporarily. So there is that ticking time bomb. Could they go through the machinations of... Because uh, Deputy Director Smith, she's out on maternity leave or, you know, or something. At that point, it's just extra, Pete, it's extra bread on my sandwich and I don't need that. Um, so I think we can all agree, yeah, there's no way that the New York office of the Department of Homeland Security has the one person in charge. And if somebody else who kind of has been around for a while happens to, to wander by the office and the Deputy Director can't deputy or pardon me the director can't direct any more than that person gets a promotion but yeah because story mike Sorensen writes in on the facebook page uh for episode 104 resupply this episode had my name written all over it the pink ruger i could do without though uh, and Robert T. Frost followed up with, I think my wife just put a pink Ruger on her Christmas list. Uh, Mike responds, the Ruger 1022, I'm relatively sure that's what the rifle was, is, is a really nice piece of kit. I just don't have any wardrobe to match the color. And then John Stewart answered uh, our discussion from last time. As a biologist, I can assure you could get good DNA from puke. It's a chemical process, so for the lab, it's not even that gross to deal with. Now, if the puke came from a cannibal, there might be some confounding details. <sighs> Announcing Marvel's puke from a cannibal coming <laughs> coming online in 2018. Welcome Hannibal Lecter to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> It's the deal. It's the crossover deal they thought you couldn't do. It is. Pete, we remain indebted to our patrons on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Staying with us. They are our own army of micros. Yes, Matt. Being able to monitor our progress from no, no doubt their remote locations, yet still being on the action. Uh, they are both participant and patron so everybody who contributes is going to get exclusive podcast content so get yourself over to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash fantastic geek today we hope that unlike micro they are able to reach out and say hello pete how can people be in touch with you you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 9,650 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. Visit fantasticgeek.com, email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter. We are Fantastic Geek there as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH. You heard. Robert, you heard Mike, you heard John. We even got a message to 
the uh, Facebook page. This was a uh, direct message from Brandy Weaver today about an Iron Fist podcast. Hey, remember the the kid with the glowy fist, Matt, back when we did that in the spring? <laughs> that Pete, that was only like three or four series ago. I barely remember it. Yeah, so that that's what the Facebook is, man. It's your place to interact with us about all of it. So don't be shy. Like it today. If you are listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back tomorrow evening to talk more Runaways. If you're listening to the Punisher Podcast feed, Pete, when will we be back for more Punisher? We will be back on Thursday, November 30th for... Uh, episode 106. Well, that Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. So, what are we going to do about that? <laughs>